The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello to all of our listeners here at the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds Kavi and Benjamin. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to be back. Howdy. So this is the lithium episode, and uh, we we don't have any tricks to do with lithium, per se, in terms of breathing it in, in any shape or form. But uh, in honor of knowing what our, what our periodic table elements are, I looked up lithium, because I, even though I've taken chemistry so many times, I still like, I'm like, what is lithium? Where does it fall on the periodic table? And, you know in groups. And so I found some interesting facts about lithium really quick that Ooh. although it is metal, it is soft mm-hmm. enough to cut with a knife. Yes, it it is. is so light. It can float on water. The lithium Whoa. fires are difficult to put out. And then yeah. Yeah. in keeping with last week, it is also one of the elements produced in large quantities by the big bang. So I don't know if I stole any of your thunder there, Kavi. Nope. Um, <laughs> or Benjamin. List everything I have written down years of research. All right, well, that was the We're show. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, we'll see you next week. <laughs> you know, I, like I said, I, I've taken chemistry so many times, but it's still, it, it's so fun to go back and, you know, um, kind of relearn just different properties of these elements because, um, I don't remember what color it burns, but lithium is also one of the, uh, one of the elements that they use in fireworks, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And so it's like a pink or an orange, I think. And I remember, is that, is it that color? Is it red? Red. There you go. It's red. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just kind of fun to connect. I like that we have this element of like science in this now because it's fun to connect. See, see, you know, we're talking about elements. Yeah. And she likes that yeah. we have this element of science. See, oh see. my God. Oh, oh, oh. There are the puns. There are the puns. How far but was welcome, it? Like, welcome. Two minutes welcome. and 14 seconds. There we go. <laughs> and now the show really can be done. <laughs> so uh, welcome again. And um, like we kind of gave some teasers to last week. We do want to do an episode that focuses on uh, highlighting good causes. And we're still working on that. So in the meantime, we decided that these next two episodes are going to focus on the Apollo missions with the intent of us looking forward to the Artemis mission, which is going to be Artemis one is launching next week. So we're also kind of, this is an Apollo themed episode and we're going to talk about the Apollo missions and how it has paved the way to now what is going to be Artemis, which is so exciting. And so many people are heading down there if you're listening to this and heading down right now, um, well, Godspeed, because I have heard that basically to plan for what should be an hour drive is like a four-hour drive. That's how yes. many people they're planning on going down there, which is insanity. Um, yes. Kavi, do you have a, a fact, a fun fact you would like to share this week? Did you prepare anything for that? Yes, there was actually, well, there were a few things that I wanted to share about lithium, but you checked off all of them. Um, The the fact that I can share, no, that's okay. There are always more fun (laughs) facts to be had. Um, Always. There was was one fun fact that I learned this week that totally blew my mind. 
and it's related to general relativity. Okay. Okay. Now the whole thing with general relativity, it's not gonna it's not gonna get crazy complex and it's a super simple idea. But okay. basically with relativity, everything's about your frame of reference, right? Okay. I was gonna say, is this famous last words? It's not that complicated. Go ahead. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> famous last words, indeed. Um, basically the idea is that a photon, a light particle, intrinsically, has no energy, no wavelength, and no frequency. The fact that we see it with a particular wavelength or energy is only an effect of us being an observer relative to the motion of the photon. Yep. That's one of those, um, you know, like the double slit experiment, um, <laughs> right? Like, how does that, how does that work? We don't know. We don't know. I love that. That is my favorite thing about science is, um, having questions that we still need to answer. That is my favorite thing. Thank you for sharing your fun fact. And Benjamin, did you have a, a, a thing that you wanted to do this week in terms of either a, a birthday or perhaps yes. a day in history, something of that degree? Sure. Uh, we are recording this on August 18th. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead to the 19th because there's two awesome birthdays I want to shout out in the sciencey scienceness. Um, Story Musgrave is a famous NASA astronaut. He uh, flew on six shuttle missions, but he's the only guy to fly on all five shuttles. And wow. during deorbit wow. of the of his last mission, uh, he didn't want to sit down. He did it standing up. And what? I don't know how he managed to do it. He did it standing up. That's what? as gutsy as it gets. And he did so holding a handheld video recorder, looking out the front window of the cockpit. And he was the first wow. person to see uh, plasma threads going over the windshield. And he was what? the first person to record this, it. And so. this video must live on YouTube somewhere, right? I'm sure it does. Yeah. Oh, my so God. We need to find that. Happy birthday to what? Story Musgrave. And happy also... Birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to Leonid Kulik, a very famous Russian mineralogist who investigated the Tunguska event, uh, a meteor impact site in Russia. Uh, okay. That happened in the, what, 1900s, 1910 something, uh, when there was this massive, massive, massive explosion that nobody could explain in Russia and generated so much light you could read by it in uh, Europe and England. It was insanity, and uh, they believed for a very long time that it was a comet that hit, but the modern research has found that there's trace evidence of a meteor. But still, he was the first guy to actually make the trek all the way out to this remote, remote place, and uh, he found the, the, the creator, the crater. So, Wow. Props to Story, like Musgrave, and Leonid Kulik. Happy birthday to them. Do you know how long was that like light visible that you could read by it you know i i'm just kind of curious if for something like half an hour really wow mm -hmm. was that from the Dang. entrance through the through the atmosphere or just from like from the explosion from both of the, the entrance and the massive massive explosion it ex whatever hit, it was a meteor uh it exploded uh well above the ground high up into the atmosphere huh. so i would assume that would help uh transmit the light further distances mm -hmm. and had it just impacted the ground first but yeah, there's also a massive burn as it comes in. Wow. It was a very, very large uh, thing. The crater was huge. 
and it was like kilometers across and there's trees laid out radiating in every single direction all stripped of their branches all laying down flat and uh it was like, quite the event wow wow mm-hmm. famous event sort famous of. and and uh yeah I, you know the thing i think about a lot as a science communicator is that for so much that we know there's always so much more to learn and and especially when it comes to like history and all the different branches of science and so i have always been very in awe of how much knowledge lots of other people can carry around with them at all times and i uh always look forward to learning from other people who know a lot of different facts so that was really cool i i did not know that story mm-hmm. i i do think it's interesting too that russia seems to get a lot of meteorite you know like you often see videos yeah. coming in that are like oh big flash over moscow or something like that and is it mm. I, I would assume it's probably because it's just a, a the largest a very large huge landmass. yeah it's got more surface area than pluto i we're gonna we're gonna try all the things this episode apparently and um i found a sound you guys aren't going to be able to hear it because i'm going to insert it later but i found a sound that that's going to be the giveaway this week for someone Ooh. to win some irock swag it's kind of um, I think it's pretty easy, but we'll see. Uh, I will play that clip once I'm done kind of spieling some stuff here. And then when someone hears that and they want to come to any anywhere, anywhere on iRock or Kavi's social medias or my social media stuff, comment what you think the sound is and we will send you some iRock swag. So mm-hmm. here's the sound. And <laughs> if you amazing. head over to, <laughs> did you hear that? Ah, did you hear it? No, <laughs> space Sarah twenty two on Instagram. I got chills. Oh, did you? Um... <laughs> Me too. Uh, fun fact: science with Kavi. Science actually, or actually science, depending on which platform you're on. But just you know, combination of those words will get you where you need to be. Find some post corresponding to this lithium episode and comment on what the sound, what you think it is, and we will send you some swag if you're right. So I guess for the sake of our listeners, I'll play it one more time. And there you go. That is your your sound of the week. Your sound of the week. I know, right? I know. They're going wow because they don't hear it. I'm going to be it's such a sound later and edit. It's 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 a sound, a sound that's so soundy sound that's never been sounded before. So it's the soundiest it's sound that I've heard. Soundiest sound. Uh, um, there was so much sound in that. So much. Speaking of birthdays, though, really quick, it is kind of like birthday season for the Voyagers. They are. Uh-huh. We are going to celebrate their 45th birthday since launching. And Voyagers are very near and dear to my house, or heart. So I had to uh, give a shout out to the Voyagers because it was, hold on, uh, August 20th was when Voyager 2 launched. And then September 5th is when Voyager 1 launched. So mm-hmm. we're kind of on their 45th birthdays. They're still talking to us way out yes, there in space. Via barely, barely on Twitter. Yes, they do. Tweet. It's and hysterical. <laughs> it's sad because they, they do think that the, the time is drawing to a close because certain things are just starting to shut down on them and you know they've been, they've been kind of kicking since the 1970s but uh happy birthday also to them and i don't know if you guys saw that there was a spacewalk recently on the iss with two cosmonauts 
and they had to abort it in kind of an emergency situation because there was a voltage um, fluctuation in one of their, uh, they don't call them, I don't remember what the name of their suits are called, but they had a fluctuation of the voltage and they had to abort it two hours into the, the spacewalk wow. that was planned for like six, six hours. Yeah. Those are yeah. Two hours is very quick. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and then also Mike, one final other thing to just kind of throw on your, on your radar tomorrow, NASA is announcing where the Artemis three astronauts will actually be landing. Like right now yes. they, they're saying like the Southern hem or the South pole, <laughs> of the moon is kind of the targeted area, but they're going to announce tomorrow. So yes. if you're listening to this, it has already aired, but they are announcing where they're going to actually land. So oh, that is going to be so really crazy. exciting. It cannot be a coincidence that they're doing that preceding the Artemis one launch. Like there's just, there's no way they're no doing way. that on purpose just to build up that hype. Like Artemis, we're uh. going back to the moon and here's exactly <laughs> where they're going to go. I'm so on that hype train. I am like choo choo all the way. <laughs> this Artemis. It's going to be great. Choo choo. Name that sound. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of our, our first 15 minute segment here. I'm going to remind everyone that you can go to, like I said, iRock Space Radio's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, find the corresponding. Uh, picture or something that is related to this lithium episode and i'll make sure to label at least the content that i share that way so you can guess our sound you can follow my lovely co-hosts accounts as well fun fact science with kobe and uh actually science science actually with benjamin and uh when we come back from this break that we're about to get to we're going to talk about apollo we're all we're all kind of big fans big fans of apollo and moon landings and facts and nerdy history so mm -hmm. this is gonna be an awesome conversation us nerds us no, no wait, so. <laughs> wait this is a this is a nerd channel oh no no i'm here for the sophisticated channel oh so you should probably you should probably go sorry you're listening to the space case sarah show here on irock space radio <laughs> welcome back to the Space Case Era Show with Space Nerds Kavi and Benjamin. We're going to talk Apollo. And we're talking Apollo because we have the Artemis mission coming up. And the thing that is so exciting for most of us in the space science world about Artemis is that there's so much being recycled from history, from past, you know, going to the moon the shuttle missions there's so much there's so much history kind of inherently <laughs> wrapped wrapped into um wrapped into this mission and and we went to the moon and it's we kind of almost forgot we forgot how to go essentially with the shuttle missions and so for us to be making this return granted extremely long overdue uh based on even when nasa said they were gonna start it we're doing it and so we decided that we were going to talk about Apollo with the intention of now then looking forward to Artemis in next week's episode. So, um, Apollo, what, uh, what are your first memories of Apollo? I don't really remember the first time I learned about Apollo. It just always was. Like, mm -hmm. people went to the moon. 
we're part of that generation right we don't we don't remember that historic moment we're just like it just always someone that walked on the moon right i feel like it might have been when i saw the tom hanks movie apollo 13 i think that's like my earliest memory of of actively thinking about lunar exploration yeah that's actually a good point how about you ben um i just remember knowing that uh uh neil armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins went to the moon when I was younger. Again, I knew they did. And then I knew a few other guys I learned this in school um, followed them. But I had no <laughs> idea that there were like uh, nine other uh, Saturn launches or eight other Saturn launches before them, all the different tests that they did. And uh, when, and I had no idea how, you know, as a kid, how big the structures were here on earth that they needed to build the buildings they built so they could build the rockets inside. I had no idea about anything like that in school. I just learned, yeah, 1969, they just went there. Finally, after a lot of training, a lot of work, they went there. But it wasn't until later in high school that I started learning that there were multiple trips and there was multiple tests before that. And how they had, after they scrapped the Apollo program, they still had all these Saturn rockets that they were building. Like, what are we going to do with them? So they made more missions out of those, like the, the Soyuz Apollo combo mm. mission and the, mm-hmm. the uh, Skylab missions. So uh, I didn't learn that too much later. It was, it's kind of, it's, it was so much. It's kind of weird, isn't it? How for people who, you know, didn't grow up during the Apollo period where, you know, for, 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 the, for that generation, there was a lot of hype while things were happening so people who grew up or were born after that it's kind of almost like we took it for granted it's like yeah you know mm-hmm. we went to the moon like mm-hmm. it's just like a thing that exists and we don't realize right. how much work and like how decades of, of of work and effort from you know thousands of people had to go into this to make it happen mm-hmm. right and you know even in the apollo era i've heard this said in documentaries it's almost kind of a shame and a crime how drastically the interest in the Apollo missions dropped as soon as that first landing was done after, you know, Apollo 12, I guess the uh, astronauts and their audio is really hilarious. They had like a really good sense of humor and no one remembers any of the audio and, and things that Apollo 12 did, but they, you know, and then, and then Apollo 13, obviously everyone remembers that. Um, So it's like, it's it's funny to me how the public loses interest if it's not a first sort of momentous thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, yeah, well, we went to the moon. We did that. And, and exactly to your point, Benjamin, like the amount of effort and infrastructure and... Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's it's really, it's a kind of a crime. It really is how how quickly the interest lost its romantic relationship with space after we got to the moon. And so I think a lot of us are really excited about the prospect of Artemis hopefully maybe recapturing some of that. But let's start back, back in time. Let's go back. Let's go back to when, you know, it was the Cold War. And uh, we were all scared of the Russians after they launched Sputnik. And everyone freaked out over Mm -hmm. what we're fairly certain was just a satellite, like a radio. Um, But still, you know. Everyone freaked out. And uh, yeah, um, let's talk about NASA, I guess, and and starting 
starting itself. It was really rickety and kind of like yeah. out of a garage. <laughs> right? Much. This is the birth of our space, our space industry. The the original uh, building, uh, or like small, like little, uh, not garages, but like small two story buildings, nondescript outside, nothing really to look at. And the NASA logo looked nothing like the NASA logo you see today. It was like this little circle with wings, almost looked like uh, airline pilot wings. And uh, nobody really knew what they were doing back there. And the people inside didn't really know what they were doing either. They just had this kind of, uh, you know, important message from the government saying, we need to go. And yeah. we are going to start figuring out what it's going to take to get people up there. They, they didn't know what to do. And so they had to literally, the first things NASA did was create branches of NASA and assign tasks to people to figure out what are we going to build? What do we need to build it? They didn't just jump right in and start slapping together a rocket. There was many years of just discussion yeah. and planning and drawing and sketching. It took a long time before they actually started saying, okay, let's you know buy a wrench, get some metal, build a thing. So it was a it was a it was a it was a interesting interesting thing. I think um, it was a Disney Plus that had the uh, the right stuff miniseries. Yes, um, mm -hmm. I didn't really like the show very much, but yeah. the first episode yeah. or two I thought really covered very very well exactly that birth of NASA. It yeah. was a dank little room. It was dusty. There's just stacks of paper on a table that wasn't even theirs to begin with they had to get rid of it because they were suddenly given a room to do something so they had to clean it out i mean it really was like you said a very scrappy start yeah very scrappy start actually also a com that comes to mind first man with ryan gosling they do a really good job also encapsulating that sort of like we're patching this together and sending people to the moon because they have that one scene where Neil's walking to the capsule and they're in the in like the tunnel you know that connects them from the tower to the capsule and it's like shaking and the lights are rattling and stuff and um yeah I, I imagine this is also very similar to Kavi's office at school where everybody's just sitting around and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've seen your video of how many days it's been since we wrote or like erased zero off the board <laughs> zero <laughs> you erased zero <laughs> It's just a bunch of nerds sitting around writing jokes on a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. But I think what I, I think one of the one of the interesting things is that like you know, Benjamin, you're saying that we had to like patch this together and, and figure out what are the individual tasks that needed to be done. And I think that, you know, when people talk about the scientific method, they talk about the idea of, you know, you come up with a hypothesis and then you test it and then you adjust the hypothesis. I think the real scientific method at least from my experience and like from what we saw with the Apollo program and from all big projects is you take this idea, right. Of something that seems totally unfeasible or impractical. And you say, okay, how can we break this down into bite-sized chunks? How can we break this down into tasks that are individually humanly possible? And so all of these people sitting in this cramped room, they kind of have delegated to them each one, something that's, that's doable. And then when you combine all of those parts together, that's when you get these spectacular things of, you know, man setting foot on another object in space that's not Earth, which is, yeah, still just wild to think about. 
It is. I, I really do think that when we get people boots on the ground on the moon again, it will generate a similar passion and interest because like like we were saying at the very beginning, so many of us have not even it just been always to the moon. Been. Yeah, I've never been. It's just always been the way it is. So I have a list here from the History Channel of 10 things you may not know about the Apollo program. And I'm not going to go through all of them. But um, you mentioned at the beginning, too, you were talking about uh, uh, using the Saturn rockets, Benjamin, and they did so with uh, um, that one time Apollo and uh, Russia. What was it? Soyuz? Uh-huh. Um, Soyuz. Yeah, Soyuz. They, they had a joint thing. So I guess, apparently, JFK floated the idea of a joint U.S.-Soviet moon mission. And it was, uh, I guess they thought that maybe it was an attempt to try to alleviate tensions between the Russians and the Americans. So, but I guess um, initially he shocked the world by suggesting that the two Cold War foes might join forces for a tandem lunar mission, which is very, uh, very akin to, you know, an alternative timeline, like uh, for all mankind or something like that, you know? Um, And it it ended, though, when he got assassinated. And that's kind of an interesting part of, I think, the the Apollo story and history as well, is JFK, his influence to get that done, and then the tragedy of him getting assassinated. And I I don't think that there's maybe a a disconnect in the disinterest and the, you know, like, like, we made it to the moon, yay, JFK, and then, you know, he got assassinated. So, like... Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I don't know. I wonder, it, 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 it's interesting, though. I, I wonder, like, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the excitement these days with space missions, um, and especially with Artemis, right? Like, we're seeing a collaboration between NASA and the ESA and all these private companies across Europe and the world who are getting involved. I feel like during the Apollo time, it was a government-funded and government-led, even if you did have, you know, a few private companies who were involved in building particular parts within America. And missions like that end up being really closely tied to um, what's on the political agenda. What do we have a budget for? And it's it's a problem, right? When you basically have the leadership turning over every four years or every eight years yeah. in the USA, mm-hmm. um, yep. that can totally shift. You know, you have these missions in space that, like you were talking about before with Voyager, I mean, it's a 45-year mission, even if, okay, it was intended to be quite a bit shorter. And so... <laughs> yeah. I, I'm impressed that Apollo managed to last as long as it did. But then, yeah, like you're saying, once the administration ended with uh, with JFK, um, it, it needed somebody else to carry the torch. And I guess that just wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's, it is one of, I think, one of the flaws of NASA is just, yeah, the administration's changing over flip-flop, flip-flop. And um, it, it got a lot of flack, but I do think Space Force was uh, well needed and timely. Um the, the Steve Carell show? Uh, no, no, no. The, no, no. The, the, the actual Space Force. The real Space Force. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it got it got mocked a lot for the name and and the time of it. But I do think that you know it um because of how our industry is moving in that direction. I do think that there is a a need for a differentiation between airspace, Earth airspace, and space space. So um anyway, uh, my point being that that was in one administration and now there's not as much emphasis on it now in another administration. So I have one more fact and then we got to do a break, but did you know 
So the crew of Apollo 7, mm. they took up some cameras. And during their 11-day flight, this was Wally, Don, and Walter. And they mm-hmm. made what they called the Wally, Walt, and Don show. Yeah. <laughs> and they <laughs> broadcast, like, how they prepared meals. And then they did, like, jokes. And they did this whole... This whole, I guess, funny show during their 11-day flight, and they won an Emmy Award for it. What? <laughs> I know. That show was so popular and so played over and over and over in schools that so it just funny. ignited so much interest and study into the Apollo program and the space program because kids were seeing, like, these are guys are goofing around. And they can relate to that because they're kids, but they're also showing, you know, examples of this is what it's like in space. This acts differently. This looks differently. It's uh, what uh, uh, astronaut, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield is so famous for doing on the space yep. station, playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. And this happens to have water, yeah. all these types of things. It was the first version of something of that nature to show the world. Like, you know, yes, we're goofing around, but this is how things operate. The kids just ate it up. And it's so good because it humanizes the astronauts. Otherwise, astronauts are like these yeah. mythical Greek gods of like, oh, they went to space. But this is like, they're human. They're us. We can right. do that as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they won an Emmy for it, which I think is phenomenal. And like, <laughs> amazing. That is SciComm 101 right there, right? You know, that that just, the best. That it's just amazing. So yeah, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue through this list of maybe some things you didn't know about the Apollo program, talking about the Apollo program. And we'll uh, give a quick preview at the end for Artemis and what we're going to talk about next week because I'm so, so, so excited. So excited. (laughs) You're listening to the Space Case Sarah Show here on iRock Space Radio. (laughs) Hold on, we need to talk about that really quick. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with my hilarious co-host, Benjamin and Kavi. Benjamin was telling us he does not cook. Actually, there's a story behind this too. You do not cook. Do not. So... In a trade-off of that, you offer to always do the dishes, and you have a, uh, a, a document related to this. But first, can you tell us what happened when you tried to cook last night? Can you repeat that? I was trying to cook dinner for the kids. I am not a good cook, and I started, I don't know how, very quickly a grease fire. And it sent a big <laughs> column of fire straight up from the pan to the little oven hood. And my response was not to quickly put it out, but instead I screamed, skaploosh! <laughs> the kids loved it. <laughs> Science! Skaploosh! And uh, yeah, good. so when you achieve, what is it, like all the dishes done, uh, I was clean, wondering and put away? Show to get, it, this would come up, I guess, episode, <laughs> episode three. Uh, <laughs> I, I made a deal with roommates before my wife, and then I continued the deal with my wife. I cannot cook to save my life. Once trying to boil water, I set the pot itself on fire, but the water <laughs> itself is not boiling. That's 100% true. I think it's because there might have been a label on a new pot on the bottom of it. I did not even know. That was my only guess. Just, copy's face just I know. As a physicist, as a physicist, I'm so curious. I have step, one theory is there's a paper label on the bottom of a new pot. Lit, theory number two is I put a dish rag or something underneath it, and that's what lit. But I don't know. There was there was some ash on the stove. Anyway, 
Uh, so my deal with my friends and my wife and family is I can't cook, but I will clean up. I'll do the dishes. I'll clean the stove. I'll clean all the pots and pans and everything. And uh, I'll try to make this quick. But one day I discovered I did something quite interesting doing the dishes. I put everything away. There was nothing left in the sink, nothing on the drying rack, nothing on the counter anywhere, nothing in the dishwasher. Everything was clean and dried and put away in their respective places. So I called it my dish singularity. Everything was put into one place. So, uh, and now you have a document so that keeps track of how often you have a dish that I singularity. Every single time I achieve this, I've done it like eighty-seven times since the first time oh I've my done God. it in like ten years. It's very. Hard Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not found the most nerdy show to ever listen to, yep. I I don't know what else you're going to find out there because this this pretty much wins. <laughs> this wins it right here. There you have it. Um, I like he's got dish singularity. Uh Kavi has a dog named Newton. I have a dog named Hubble. I mean, like, this is we win. I don't know what competition this is. It's probably just amongst ourselves, but we win. <laughs> We're all winning. Apollo. <laughs> Let's get back to Apollo. Back to Apollo. Back to Apollo. We are talking about some facts you might not know about Apollo. I haven't even scrolled through this whole list, so this is hitting my eyes for the first time, too. A bra company designed the Apollo spacesuits. Huh. It was a, an industrial division of Playtex, the International Latex Corporation, won a contract to build the Apollo spacesuits and sealed the deal. So take that, Victoria's Secret. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. like this is this is quite the competition show. But huh, mm-hmm. who knew? Interesting. Wow. And Speaking of spacesuits, and part of the reason Artemis has gotten delayed and things that, you know, are, have been delayed are because of the spacesuits, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the spacesuits have really not gotten many overhauls over the years since the Apollo and, and those missions. And so what, what they need in order to return to the moon, the suits for the ISS currently don't, don't do the job. They're not going to work. So um, we've had some issues with all these different individual contractors building the spacesuits for Artemis. And that actually was a reason for it getting delayed once. So apparently huh. they should have uh, reached out to the industrial division of Playtex. I mean, if it, yeah. if it works. Yeah. If it works, stint. were the new suits not supportive enough? Is, was that the issue? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, here's the next one. Um, <laughs> apparently, I actually did know this. Apollo 12 was struck by lightning twice during yes. takeoff. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is pretty common. Um, yeah. Of just the um just even the the towers and the things that they built getting hit by lightning that's pretty normal because in florida obviously the florida weather is notorious for being quite uh stormy and storms pop up and stuff like that and so there there are there are lightning towers on top of all of those launch pads right around the launch launch pad there's four incredibly tall towers that are taller than the rockets themselves so if you can imagine these super tall like hollow rockets you can see right through there's like they look like powered towers and uh, they're just incredibly tall and have this big spirally doodad on top just to kind of not only attract the lightning away from the spaceship but also to draw it straight down uh i went to nasa for a couple of nasa social events where they invite 
uh, so, uh, science communicator people or members of the media to come view a launch. And I went to a launch and we, they told us that we had a 70% chance of a launch. We're, okay, that sounded good. But the 30% kicked in and that meant sirens and that meant everybody get inside. And it was like military precision. Everybody go indoors now. And we, I thought it was the weirdest thing. So I was stuck in a room with the, with the head of NASA at the time, <laughs> Burdenstein, that's his name, <laughs> I forget. And he was the nicest guy. We just hung out and talked and shot the shit about what the future holds for Kennedy that's Space and, and everything. It was nice. But at the same time, we're looking outside and it's barren and there's like a few Jeeps going around testing things and no one else is allowed to go outside because lightning is present. Yeah. They, they don't want anybody outside, not just near the rockets, anywhere. It was ridiculous. Wow. They're very you serious know, about it. It, it. That reminds me of the, uh, I mean, you're talking about the weather for launching the rockets. It can be sometimes perilous. Um, although in the case of Apollo 12, they were fine. Um, <laughs> the the eh. space weather. Yeah, it's a bit of lightning twice, yeah. whatever. Eh, whatever. <laughs> there must have been somebody in the control room after that first time. was like, okay, we survived a lightning strike. <laughs> That's never going to happen again five <laughs> seconds later. It reminded me of the, uh, the solar flare that happened, the space weather that happened mm. uh, between Apollo 16 and 17. Do you guys uh, know about that? I don't know if I know that story, but I don't share with us. So, so, so one of the, one of the cool things that they've been working on for the upcoming Artemis mission has been uh, radiation protection. There's a company called Stemrad that I believe was involved, and basically, I think both the suits and also the capsule, the Orion capsule itself, are going to be designed in such a way as to protect the astronauts from any potential uh, solar flares or uh, CMEs, coronal mass ejections of you know these energetic bursts of radiation that come from the sun. Now, the reason that we don't worry about this as much here on Earth is that the atmosphere and magnetosphere of the Earth protects us. But in space, you don't really have that. And so what was crazy was that just in between, just after the Apollo 16 crew had gotten back and just before the Apollo 17 crew launched, there was a massive solar flare. And if there had been an Apollo crew in space or on the lunar surface when that happened, it would have been not good yeah really? like if they were yeah <laughs> like a serious dose of radiation um wow. from that solar flare if they had been i think if they had been in the module then they would have like gotten a big dose but would have been okay and just would have had to like turn around go back and get radiation treatment back on earth but if they'd been on the surface it could have been uh very not good yeah that is you know that is super interesting because we just had a solar flare recently mm -hmm. and i guess i've never really thought about that i i did know from listening to an astronaut who his name's his name escapes me but he helped uh fix hubble and he told us when he came to talk with us that if you it doesn't matter where you're going in space as a nasa astronaut you have to sign a waiver that says like i understand mm -hmm. That I will get exposed to radiation. But if you're going up to higher levels of orbit, you have to sign even more like, I really understand that I'm going to get possibly exposed to radiation and that I will need to no, uh, not Mike. I don't remember. It was somebody through Blue Marble, and I don't remember who who it was. It wasn't Mike though. Um because mm. I because I'm really familiar with Mike Masiamo. Uh, 
I'll think of it. If I think of it, I'll, I'll shout out his name, but he, uh, so he said like, even today, like he has to get checked every year to make sure that he doesn't have any cancer showing up or something like that. Like that's something that they agreed to, to get to that level. (laughs) And there's apparently (laughs) something going on outside (laughs) Benjamin's house. Um, I'm in my garage, which is the Ford most. No, not mine. And I hear no. A car alarm is going oh. off outside mine. Yeah, there, there was a honking outside my place, and now I hear a car alarm outside of yours. I think we're connected through the. What just happened? Time. That was weird. That was so weird. Okay, well, that actually <laughs> segues nicely into my next Apollo fact. Um, okay. An Apollo astronaut conducted a secret ESP experiment, so a, an extrasensory really? perception experiment. Uh, his name was mm-hmm. Edgar Mitchell. He was on Apollo 14. He had a deep interest in psychological phenomenon. So before leaving for the moon, he concocted a test to see if it was possible to transmit his thoughts through space. That is it was so weird that all these car alarms went off at the same time. This is so weird. Um, so apparently it worked. Uh, Mike, was it Mike? No, Edgar. Edgar was speaking to us from the past through car alarms and um, car horns. Uh... <laughs> That's so weird. I mean, here I was thinking I'm going to need to take that out, but that was like, what just happened? Okay. Um, this one I think a lot of people know. I, and I, I do think it's, 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 I don't know, a fun fact and it's still kind of funny that all the first few trips to the moon astronauts had to quarantine themselves afterwards for a while Mm. in case they would bring back space germs or something Uh hazardous right (laughs) um as we're talking about all the customs as well (laughs) yeah i did the customs form it was great they had to write down a flight number an airline that took them and they didn't know what to write so they just wrote spaceship (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if they had like the same apathetic tsa agents just like where are you coming from? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. This is your pleasure. How uh-huh. how much would you like to claim a uh, one they moon had to claim rock? The rocks. It was great. Sir, how much how much is a moon rock? I don't know. Are you carrying uh, more than ten thousand dollars worth of moon rocks? Yeah. On your person? Probably. Yeah, yeah they were. <laughs> For sure. All right, I got one more here and then we'll uh, start kind of wrapping this up, but Apparently, we all know that they left behind a mirror on the moon, and they left a plaque on the moon that says, you know, here are the men of Mars and blah, blah, blah. Did you know that they also left behind a work of art on the moon? Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with this. Oh, no. What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> the poop bags. Oh, well, oh, we can talk about yes. that, too. They also yeah. left behind fecal yeah. matter on the moon. But apparently, they left behind a relic like a little like a plaque with like a little figurine that's like fallen next to it um mm. it's called the fallen astronaut it's an aluminum yes. sculpture that they yes, left behind yeah, yeah. but they also left art, behind art. poop like they got something from the louvre really quick and they just threw that up there is that <laughs> awesome. is that what it was no i just thought oh. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. i don't know i didn't know that they left behind uh, any anything artistic i know like in the movie um first man they insinuate that like neil left behind stuff on the moon and stuff like that and i'm, I'm sure there probably are other things oh, yeah. we Some don't astronauts know have left pictures left of their families up there yeah that was a nice mm-hmm. little you know less i mean it's cool they left behind fecal matter so there, there could be like <laughs> much less <laughs> 
<laughs> they, they could have, you know, like written their names in the in the lunar regolith in the in the moon dust, right. and they would still be here, right? There's no wind on the moon. There's no tectonic activity that would cause things to shift. Oh yeah. From what Probably I've heard from stories from twelve Apollo twelve and their sense of humor. I bet you, I bet you they did some stuff like that. Like that. They probably, they left like moon graffiti, like inappropriate drawings or something like that. <laughs> because they made lots of crude jokes. And I mean, those are on like NASA record and stuff. So Oh gosh, I, yes. Their Playboy centerfolds have been sent up and the astronauts didn't know it until they're actually walking on the moon and they're looking at this little notepad on their, on their, on their sleeve that was prepared for them on the ground. And they're walking around and looking, okay, task number one, done. Next page, task number two. Next page, what the heck? There's a <laughs> girl there. And Alan Shepard, I think, played golf on the moon. Yep. He had a, uh, a little golf head uh, built so that he can unscrew the little grabbing mechanism at the end of a pole and then screw back on a uh, golf head. And then he dropped the ball, which he brought. And then he smacked it, I'm sure, several miles. <laughs> astronauts astronauts dropping things and falling over on the moon is one of my favorite things to watch like whenever i'm having a bad day you can even you can put it to like right? benny hill music or like just yeah. like any fast-paced chipmunky kind of music and just hear them like do 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 plunk that's fantastic well and that, yeah so things have been left on the moon from apparently obscure art and and uh plaques and and you know um the people who claim that the moon landing was fake, that's usually the go-to proof is that there are mirrors that they use to shoot lasers at to reflect off of the moon. How do you think that those mirrors got there? So this has been a really fun episode. I feel like we could have talked a lot more about Apollo, but we have Artemis to look forward to. So let's look ahead quickly at next week. I will actually be on the road. I will be at Texas A&M. I will be recording from there and I'm training for my astrobiology expedition on the Droides resolution. But I am, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of pull, a lot of strings with NASA, but I can't get them to change the Artemis launch. So the show must go on (laughs) no matter what happens. And hopefully knock on wood, we're going to have a a launch on the 29th. Uh-huh. And then I think what the backup dates are the first and the fifth, if I remember correctly. I think the so. fifth yeah, for sure. sure. I can't remember yeah, that second I think it's one. A, I think it's one full week after. Yeah. And then Easy if it doesn't days. launch, then they're going to have to wait a full month for the moon to be right. back in the right position again. And so we are going to. Floating. I know. Snoopy's making it back. And then right there's um, like a human figurine that has a name. I think there's a sheep. Like a uh, Sean the Sheep from the Wallace and Gromit show. Okay, and, yeah. And Snoopy from Snoopy. They're going to be the uh, zero G indicators. Okay. Little things that as soon yeah, as they, the they, sheep is from the ESA, right? Around. Yeah. Mm. And, and they're both wearing little astronaut outfits. And there are two mannequins on board uh, Artemis 1. And for the very first time, they're doing something quite interesting because um, these, these mannequins are designed to test the stresses on the human body. Mm-hmm. But uh, one is going to test the stresses as they would be on a male body, and the second one is testing the stresses on a female body. It's the very first time that they've done that hmm. specifically for female anatomy and for male anatomy. So they're going to make sure that it's totally inclusive and fully researched for everybody. 
as opposed to just super awesome. It's rated for a man. Everyone's good to go. But now it's <laughs> literally no, it's rated for be... men and women, a hundred percent. That's actually kind of a little side thing I would I told my girls about. That is super exciting. Yeah, it's it's gonna be. I I think that oh, it's gonna be so exciting. It's and mm-hmm. I. And like I said, tomorrow they're going to announce where the uh, Apollo, or not Apollo, I'm sorry, Artemis 3 <laughs> astronauts are going to land. Which right. So this is a Artemis 1, and I heard 2024 is the pretty much projected uh, launch of people. Yep. And doing the same thing, going around the moon. And then Apollo 3 is hopefully going to land on the moon. And at that point, we will have... Uh, SpaceX is partnering to build the lunar orbiter so that the whole the yeah the whole system will probably be up and running in just a few years if all goes to plan. Supposedly 2030-2032 we're going to be having the gateway station orbiting moon with some regularity and there's going to be a reusable uh, lander that goes down to the moon back mm-hmm. up to the gateway down to the moon back up to the gateway and Artemis is just going to be at that stage, it's just going to be something that ferries people to the gateway and back. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I can't wait. This is going to be yeah. so exciting. So, 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 much, so, so much to talk about next episode. So mm-hmm. if you remember, there was a trivia, well, not a trivia, a, a sound that I played at the beginning. If you know what that was or you want to take a stab at whatever it was, mm-hmm. go ahead and find social media posts on either IROC Space Radio, Space Case Era 22, Fun Fact Science, Science Actually Actually Science, whichever one that one is and uh follow us on social media interact with us we're we're like so excited to be doing this so we love knowing that you're enjoying listening to us and our content and the station and if you have like music requests or or certain things you'd love to hear let us know because we are very open and receptive to anything so we will have the artifice episode next week what is our element for the next week beryllium beryllium so you are listening to the space case share bleh, i can talk the space case sarah show with kavi and benjamin here on irock space radio you've been listening to the space case sarah show with the space nerds kavi and benjamin a production of irock space radio go to irockspaceradio.com for more